0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. The easiest way to shop for the best tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system. Jacko, are you using SeatGeek? Please tell me you are.
1: Uh, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. This is my favorite ticket buying experience.
0: My listeners get $10 off baseball tickets the first time they use SeatGeek. You just waltz in the Yankee Stadium. You you just waltz in. They're like, Jacko, where can we put you? Uh, mo- Absolutely. Most people don't have that luxury, so they can They're use right. promo code BSMLB and you get $10 off. Download the SeatGeek app today or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Joe House's new podcast, House of Carbs. Jacko, you've known House since September 1988, maybe even August 1988.
1: August of 88, yes.
0: We didn't even know what a podcast was back then, but we knew that no. Joe House was destined to talk about food to complete strangers, correct?
1: Absolutely. He's found his calling. uh, Note without a question.
0: What was your favorite eating experience with Joe House?
1: Do you have Um, one? I remember going to Las Vegas. I I forgot if it was for your bachelor party or his bachelor party and we went out to breakfast in the casino wherever we were staying at the Bellagio or whatever and he ordered something and then the waiter or waitress went to move on and he's like oh no I'm not done and he ordered like two more things it was like three separate entrees I think it was like obviously we had woken up late so he kind of covered the breakfast lunch like his own little brunch like he wasn't sure if he wanted eggs or like a sandwich and decided just to get both right yeah as well as like a cheeseburger so that was pretty funny
0: that sounds like somebody who should be hosting a podcast about eating it's called house of carbs this week David. The waitress
1: oh good the waitress thought he was ordering for the whole table and then she started to walk <laughs> away we're like wait a second we'd like something too <laughs>
0: uh this week he has david chang mike lombardi and myself talking about diners i told the story about mr g's diner jesus really? shore you yeah did. i did because we were talking about the uh, the authentic experience about diners and how they're right. usually owned by one person or a family, and I was like, my favorite diner I've ever been to was Mr. G, which had the Mr. G special sauce, and we know, we always had that joke about how he made the special sauce, and we really didn't want to know.
1: Well, right? No, I think what it was actually it was called it was the Mrs. G special, and when it came, you said, it, "This looks more like it was made by Mr. G."
0: <laughs> That's right. That's so, I actually special. just
1: talked about that at our at the last time I was on a podcast when I went to the, our reunion and we went out for breakfast and I told all the guys from that I was hanging out with at the reunion we were eating breakfast about the Mister Mrs G from the Jersey Shore
0: yeah these are the stories That's probably
1: the hardest I've ever laughed in my life when they brought that out and we all looked at all our hungover selves all looked at that thing and I almost coughed up a lung
0: yeah those are the kind of stories that House of Carbs inspires you can listen to that podcast subscribe. Wherever you get your podcasts, and we should mention "Talk the Thrones," our new Twitter show, which comes on immediately after Game of Thrones ends on HBO. All you have to do is go to Twitter, go to at Ringer, our Twitter feed, or you can just type in the Game of Thrones hashtag, and it'll be pinned at the top. Chris Ryan, Andy Greenwald, Malley Rubin, Jason Concepcion, all talking about the greatest show. On television right now, and really breaking it down like Mel Kiper Jr., Charles Barkley, name your studio analyst. Jacko, you're in on Game of Thrones.
1: Sadly, <laughs> totally I'm not. We you tried to get me in a few years ago. You never got I, in. I, I never got in, and now oh I feel God. like so left out because you know I go on Twitter and and you know I I don't know how many people I follow, 40 or 50 or whatever, and every other tweet for like Sunday was was all Game of Thrones, and I, you know you might as well be. Tweeting in Sanskrit to me, like I, I don't understand any of these things. So, at this point, it's such a daunting task to now get in on the ground level and rewatch however many seasons it is. Yeah. Well, maybe the winter. Maybe in the winter when we're like snowed in and cold, I'll I'll get my wife and we can you know get in on Game of Thrones. But because I, I, I do feel let's see. So
0: my dad banged out sixty episodes in two weeks, but he's retired.
1: <laughs> exactly. So. Maybe I'll take a leave of absence from work and say I've <laughs> gotta catch up on Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, you can say you have to have a surgery. It just go away for <laughs> <Exactly>. two weeks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: uh
0: coming up later, Shea Serrano. Coming up right now, Jacob but first Pearl Jam. Mm. All right, that was the uh, the soothing sounds of Jacko you heard at the beginning of this podcast, my buddy, my old college roommate, lifelong Yankee fan, lifelong Republican. We're going to talk Yankees first. I haven't, you came on like about, I don't know, like four or five weeks ago, and then Aaron Judge went to like four other levels, culminating in his uh, home run derby two hour orgasm which then sent his career in a tailspin so at first we should probably talk about that Um, he got two
1: hits last night come on I'm already remembering it
0: nostalgically when Aaron Judge was good it's like you look back it's it's like when Larry Bird was good before he hurt his back Now it's like oh Aaron Judge remember him before the home run derby Um,
1: he's a really blasphemer
0: (laughs) he's a really charismatic guy though like it let's start here Derek Jeter's retiring and all the Yankee fans are just almost catatonic. They don't have their hero anymore. They don't. They their whole right. world has collapsed. And then Aaron Judge emerges from the ashes. He's a six seven version of Derek Jeter. He actually kind of looks like he could be Derek Jeter's giant son. <laughs> uh, he hits the longest homers we've seen since the heyday of Sosa McGuire, who were you know right. obviously loaded up on all kinds of performance enhancers. He's six right. seven. He seems like a great guy. Um, everyone talks about what a great person he is, which always makes me suspicious whenever that happens in sports. But in this case, it really does seem like he's a nice guy. This is like out of central casting. Is this, is this the most important person in your life other than your two kids?
1: <laughs> and my wife. I don't want to and throw my wife. wife out of the bus. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's up there. He definitely is. I mean, if you could be anybody's agent in sports, you could make an awesome case for Judge because... He's in, he's in New York City, obviously. He's a New York Yankee. It's a totally marketable team. He's got this name, Judge, that plays in with this whole, all these people in, in judicial robes and um, judicial wigs and the gavel and the whole nine yards and the judges' chambers and all rise. It's like he, he's this... Gigantic guy, the biggest position player in the history of baseball. He wears number 99. It's kind of like wild thing from um, Major League. He's got yeah. the you know number. He's a, a super down to earth. He won't like bang his chest and and praise himself even if he has a multiple home run day or a multiple hit day or does some amazing things, he's always like talks about the team or the starting pitcher or somebody who made a good defensive play. I mean, he is the total package now. I I think he was raised right. His parents were teachers. They emphasized doing his homework first and everything. And he just seems to be like this miracle kid that came out of like it's like The Natural, like out of out of the Nebraska wheat fields, and he's just like he's from California. Actually, I know he's not from Nebraska, but you know The Natural, where this guy came out of nowhere and uh, and the kids just like set, put the team on his back and set New York on fire. It's incredible.
0: I saw a great interview with his father Victor Conti, and Victor <laughs> was saying,
1: "Oh my god." <laughs> You bastard, I'm
0: hanging up. <laughs> hey, listen, anytime somebody can hit more homers in their first major league season than they did in their entire minor league career, I'm sure, came I'm up sure it's the minor on the league. level.
1: They, they, he just got up from the minors. They test like every freaking day in the minors. Come on.
0: No, I know. He's 6'7", he weighs
1: 286, like he's a freaking giant.
0: I'm just bitter. I'm just bitter. I don't uh, know how this it. happened. It makes me so angry. I was so happy to live in a world where the Yankees had no hero. And right. this whole generation of Yankee fans was going to grow up without anyone to idolize. And they're going to be talking to <laughs> themselves in like D.D. Gregorius and, right. uh, and Matt Holiday. Good. Yeah, he is good. Yeah. Um, but this is like out of central casting. I mean, I, I don't want to jump the gun. Actually, I do. Because if if I jinx Aaron Judge, <laughs> jinx God, God bless myself. But if, if this goes the way it's going... I think he's going to be in the running for, like, the all-time most popular Yankee. I mean, what's more fun hey, than a slugger who can come up and at any point in the game hit a 500-foot homer? That's, like, the number one I, draft I, pick for what you'd want from a baseball star.
1: I mean, it's like, you know, he's Ruthie, and he hits these home runs. It's not just that he hits home runs, but he hits them. I mean, he hits them to places where nobody has ever hit them before. So it's really like it's like a Hollywood movie. It's it's crazy, and and it's totally, that's what people like about baseball. You want to see moonshot home runs. So he's got the total package. You know, if a guy comes up and he's a great pitcher, like, you know, Doc Gooden, way back when, in the 80s for the Mets, he kind of caught the fire of New York. But it's different with a pitcher. And, you know, he throws hard, strikes out a lot of guys. But home runs are like the, you know, that's what baseball is all about. So to hit these shots that, you know, break TVs and luxury suites and, and, you know, hit places in, in Marlin Stadium where NASA said balls were never supposed to go. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, the kid's got—he's got the whole world ahead of him. Really, he, he's, there's no limit to what he can be or what he can do for the Yankees.
0: Would if somebody said Aaron Judge is going to tear his bicep unless you eat a plate of cat poop? Would you eat the cat poop? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I'd give it a good long consideration. Yeah, <laughs> probably look I'd have, at the cat poop Negotiate first. the terms of the poop.
0: Yeah. Maybe. Like what
1: the cat ate beforehand and how big it had to be. But I, I'd, I'd contemplate it.
0: i got to say, just as a Red Sox fan who just hates this more than anything, I've been <laughs> – ever since – the you know, I, I start watching baseball after. I, I'm in NBA, as Sal calls me, i NBA, NBA hole. But then <laughs> basketball ends, it gets through the draft, free agency, and right around like end of June – I'm monitoring the Red Sox but I'm not watching. I've been watching a ton of baseball since since we uh turned the calendar to July. And I've found myself cuz like uh, on the uh, on DirecTV it's like the, Nessun's 628 I think and I think the YES Network's like 631. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time I can ever remember doing this. I've found myself like kind of flicking over the Yankee game to see if Judge is coming up.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Unheard of. I hate the Yankees. i just like it,
1: it really is like it must watch TV. Like if you know Yankees game is boring and they, they've been awful for the past month, and I'm like, well, Judge is up next inning. Let me just stick around and watch Judge hit. Like yeah, because you don't know what he's capable of or what he could do, and you want to be able to see it. And my daughter, who's 11, is like head over heels in love with them. Um, so oh, you, you, you should know, try I don't to. Know if yeah. A lot of
0: ten years from now, you should work that.
1: Absolutely, I know. I you could be Aaron Judge's in father-in-law. Like a, yeah. You know, like Jeter didn't get married till he was forty. Fifteen right. years my daughter will be twenty six. I'm like, that could actually work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the most emotional wedding toast you could give as a father and I, I think. Oh, my God. My two favorite oh my people have decided to join forces. Yeah, I remember when when the Red Sox got Manny and it's just we just never had a hitter like him before in that first year of two thousand. I remember, like, just every you know, no matter what was going on, I was like, "Well, Manny's coming up in three at bats, or Manny's coming up next inning." Even when you went to the game, nobody went to the bathroom and Manny was up. Ortiz, right. Ortiz, who you know was on the Red Sox longer and I think is more popular. I don't. He never got to the level for me where it was like, "Oh my God, Ortiz is up," you know, because they even hit homers. They weren't like mm-hmm. these majestic bombs. Um, but th- this Plus judge in the seems back different. of your
1: mind, you knew it was kind of tainted. No, you know? I didn't know so it was tainted. Really, are you talking about you Judge Ortiz? talking about Ortiz. Oh, all right. You always had that little question mark in the back. No, of your I mind really it didn't. Wouldn't let you fully embrace it. I really
0: didn't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's there are a couple that's other Red guilt, Sox players. Though. Yeah, that's co- called guilt.
0: There's a couple others on the O3 team. I might have had a little uh, <laughs> some questions about
1: some inklings.
0: Yeah, but but man, when you have somebody on your team like that, that even if it's like you're down eight to two, but it's like, eh, this guy's coming up next inning. I'm going to stick around. That's that's exactly. That's the best. This Yankee team in general is really <laughs> good. Um, I don't know if it's great, but it's it's in the mix. I I think I watched a bunch of uh, Yankees Red Sox over the weekend, and the big hole was the bullpen. And then you then you right. went out and you got uh
1: yeah, Robertson and Conley or whoever you pronounce his name. Yeah. So that should, that should help, Cause they're you know and and really they got rid of Tyler Clippard, who was the vein of my existence. So the fact that he, when I, I I was tired last night, I went to bed early because I'm old, and uh, there was rumors of this trade and whatever, and you know I was like I'm curious what prospect they'll give up, but I just couldn't stay awake and I went to bed. I got up today and I saw I had like you know 20 plus notifications on Twitter, and I'm like oh my god what did they do? And I looked and it said you know Tyler Clippard was gone, and I had gone on some epic Tyler Clippard rants lately when I know. he was like you know giving up you know moonshot home runs and three you know hit giving up I think opposing batters were hitting like 375 against them and I just couldn't take any more Tyler Clippard so it was really like like I said on Twitter it was like christmas morning like whatever else happens with the trade somebody actually wanted Tyler Clippard like that it's unheard of so that's a win 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 regardless of what else what else happens with Robertson or Fraser or Conley so
0: I I uh, I would look at the other way I think during this trade, the Yankees were like, eh, the, "All right, we'll do this," with it. but you have to take Tyler Clippard.
1: Yeah, definitely, oh, definitely. I, I
0: don't think the White Sox were like, "Hey, can we? Get, any chance we get Tyler Clipper, the guy who's been getting True, racked I for know. five weeks?"
1: Chapman I, should get the executive of the year just for just for saying, just for including Clippard in this thing to get him out of town.
0: Well, you know, I have a lot of personal history with a lot of dynamics with this trade because I'm, um, you know, that crazy AL keeper league I'm in. We actually yes. we're fighting with this other team to win the title this year. It's like it's all culminated. We made a big trade last week. Like we're really going for it. But we have Chapman and Batances.
1: Right, I remember and, you saying that at the beginning of the year.
0: And they've been overworked. And Batances, yeah, you can you can see it's like it's really yeah. affected in the last six weeks. Um, his
1: control has been horrible, and you got to figure he's, he's tired and, oh, and yeah. He's, his yeah, his, his overworked. His, his control has been horrible. And Chapman, and Chapman hasn't been great since he came back from the DL. It would be great before he went on the DL, to be honest. But um, no, he's not been Chapman-esque. That's that's worrisome.
0: And you've blown 18 saves, and it wasn't yeah. all Chapman, but at some course of 18 different games, a save was blown. So yeah, yeah. The White Sox, that guy Conley, like the third or fourth week of the year, he had he had like he pitched like eight innings and had like 17 strikeouts, like one of those <laughs> crazy things. Yeah. And I put in for him, and I put in on a phone on a free agent transaction for like a dollar. I'm like, I'm gonna grab this guy, and somehow my phone screwed it up, and it didn't go through. And I was like, Oh man, I'll get him next week. And then he had like nine strikeouts in three innings or something the next week, and then somebody else picked him up for six bucks. So he's been haunting me all year. I've been watching him. The guy, he's basically two strikeouts an inning.
1: Now- yeah, his stats, his strikeout stats are, are fantastic.
0: And Robertson's good, too. So now you have four relievers. You know, the Red Sox, Joe Kelly got hurt. Joe Kelly was lights out this year, but he just got hurt. Right. And then they've had they had a 16-inning game against your Yankees on Saturday. And then last night, I think right. it was 15 innings. And yeah. it just feels like this bullpen's going to crater unless they do something. I'm worried. I feel like the Yankees might be coming.
1: Well, you know, all year I, I I was so excited and like I went to a family gathering, extended family gathering in New Jersey at, at the weekend of uh of June uh 10th and we're coming home on June 11th and the Yankees had won 16 to 3 on Saturday and they're winning 14 to 3 on Sunday. And, uh, and they're in first place by, like, four or five games. I'm like, oh, my God. and We were driving over the George Washington Bridge, and I'm listening to the game on the radio, subjecting my family to the dulcet tones of John Sterling and Susan Waldman. And I'm like, this Yankees team, like, my God. And I'm looking at Manhattan as I drive over the bridge. and I'm like, the Yanks, this is great. And they went to the West Coast, and they completely fell apart. And yeah. they just have had the roughest month, and everything was, like, hitting on all cylinders. And you expected they were going to come back to Earth a little bit, because nobody expected them to play at the level they were playing at, but I didn't expect this abject misery for like literally five weeks now, where I, still I think, think they've gone like 10 and 21, but I mean, I know, so but hopefully I, this is like a spark to turn things around.
0: I still think the team's good, because like, if you look at the run differential, which obviously is yeah. a flawed stat in a lot of ways, but you, you guys are plus 101. The only other team yeah. that's over 100 in the American League is the Astros, or plus 169. The Red Sox are only plus 63. I don't know what your record is in close games, but it does fit like the Yankees right now as we're taping this are 48 and 44. Right. But I would argue your your bullpen, you know, if you had a decent bullpen, or if you had the bullpen you have right now for the whole season, I think you would be like 8 to 10 wins higher.
1: Yeah, I mean during the course of this awful run, they had leads in a lot of those games even out on the West Coast when things started to go bad, they they had leads and then they inexplicably blew them. Yeah, And, I mean, you know, Batances and Chapman, the bullpen was supposed to be a strength and it has not been a strength. So this trade can only help, I think. Robertson's done it before in New York. Conley has amazing strikeout numbers and You know, analysts were saying on Twitter today that this is trying to follow the Royals model in 2014 of shortening the games and having amazing bullpen. Your starters might be a little shaky, but if your starters only have to go five, and you can run out Robertson, Conley, Betances, and Chapman, hopefully if it goes according to plan... You know that, that hopefully that's going to work out more often than not. You know I'm, I'm happy with it. I mean, they give up this kid Rutherford who's their number three prospect, but he's an outfielder. So you got Judge and you got Frazier, and you know there's not a lot of places for him to play. And you got to give up something to get something. So I think overall it was a it was a good move.
0: So we have Rutherford in my League of Dorks team. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been monitoring him closely because we're kind of dangling him for trades. And uh, the big fear was that they're going to trade in the National League. But he's right. he's he's really good. I mean,
1: yeah, that's what I've heard.
0: I mean, the White Sox have made all these trades where they're just cherry picking these top fifty <laughs> right. baseball America guys. They have just a shit. I think they have eight, including yeah, eight like
1: in the top uh hundred. I saw this morning.
0: They had that Moncada that the Red Sox gave yeah. them. Kopich, the guy who throws like hundred and four miles an hour. Um yeah. And then uh, they got the guy from the Cubs. They got Rutherford. They just. They're stockpiling, so four years from now we're gonna have to worry about them. But yeah, what uh, the Aaron Judge thing? Does he have like a, a partner in crime? Is Sanchez like? Is it like a Dirt Diggler, Reed Rothschild type of thing, or not really?
1: <laughs> no, not really. I mean, Sanchez has, since he came off the of DL, he's been good too, and you kind of forget about you know he was the he was the Aaron Judge of last year over a shorter period of time for the last. You know, two three months of the season, but he and he didn't put up quite the numbers Judge did. But you know, he he hit home runs uh, very quickly and in, in, uh, in a short period of time. So you know that Sanchez, you know that lineup you look at, and they brought up Clint Frazier, He's been really good. So um, he had a walk off. He's only got three home runs, but his his average is coming up, and people rave about his swing. So yeah, you would like to think that you know Judge and Sanchez are the Ruth and Gehrig of the twenty first century Murderers Row. You know, but. Um, He's been good, but, like, Sanchez seems to pal around with this, with uh, a lot with this, uh, with Ronald Torres, who's, mm. like, a, you know, five-foot-whatever infielder, and they have a shtick. It's kind of like a Twins deal where, like, you know, for Arnold Schwarzenegger, David DeVito, you know, one's huge and one's small, and guys lift up Torres to high-five Judge, and in Yankees magazine, they, like, switch jerseys, and so it seems like they're buddies. So, I don't know, like, who his uh, who he hangs out with on the team, but um, they he- seem to be buddies.
0: Uh Pineda's arm finally, finally fell apart. Yeah. We've been waiting for it for five years. I'd had him on fantasy yeah. teams. His motion just seemed like at some point something terrible was going to happen. So you still need yeah, another it was
1: starter. What's that?
0: You still need another starter.
1: Oh god, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they have this kid Jordan Montgomery who's pitching today, who's been <laughs> yeah. Our, he's been he's good. Severino, who are the young guys have been their best guys. Yeah, Severino has come back to earth a little bit, but um but you know Tanaka has not been great to say the least and he's given up home runs at an amazing rate and you know Pineda, even before he got hurt he was a roller coaster ride so yeah they they could and and Sabathia, you know he was great and he went on the DL and then he's had one bad start and one good start so um you know, he's a crapshoot because of his age and the miles on his arms. You never know what you're going to get. So, yeah, they could desperately use another starter. But, this is, I mean, unless the philosophy is that now they shorten the games with the with the bullpen and all you need is five innings out of a guy and maybe they figure they can get that. I don't know.
0: Well, you're going to score runs, which is a problem. Yeah, we, that's the thing. Yeah. Very important uh, question here. Now that Clippert yeah. is gone, who's your f- least favorite Yankee? <laughs> <clears throat>
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: Who's going to bear the brunt of your 11 o'clock p.m., two glasses of wine, and your (laughs) tirades?
1: Well, Chase Headley's always a good candidate mm. for scorn. I don't really, I don't really dislike Chase Headley, and, and I, you know, I always felt bad about Tyler Clippard for my rants against him, but he was just so bad. He seemed like a nice kid. And he was I out thought there they trying, were mean. But he was, I, I think you're but better than that. Me. I think
0: they were mean. I, th- I don't know. I don't know what if I'd Tyler Clipper like publish- has Twitter? What if he's following you and you're just hurting his feelings, making it worse? I'd like to
1: publicly apologize to Tyler Clipper that's that in anger that I didn't mean the next day. So, um, <laughs> I wish you all the best in Chicago, and uh, maybe in a couple of years. When they're good, you'll be still kicking around in the bullpen. All the best.
0: Well, speaking of.
1: Hopefully pitching against the Yankees in an ALCS.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of wine related rants. Yes. Have you heard about TryWink.com? TryWink? Yeah. I have not. They make it very, very easy to get exceptional wines from all over the world delivered every month right to your door in time for your 11 p.m. Tyler Clippard rant. It's I a per- like that. It's a personalized wine club recommends wine specifically for members based on the results of their palate profile quiz. Go to trywink.com, t r y w i n c.com. They take your feedback into account so they can learn more about your preferences with every order. What are your preferences, Jacko? You're a red wine guy?
1: Yeah, I am a red wine guy. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of people in the summer they'll switch to white, you know, which is nice if you're day drinking at a you know, picnic or something, yeah. but I'm, not a I'm more of a guy. red wine guy.
0: Rose is and in now. Cabernet. The ladies are drinking yeah, a lot rose of rose, all rose all lately. Yeah. Well join You for, have? Uh, I'm not a rose guy.
1: No, that no. My my wife is a we'll will have an occasional rose.
0: Yeah. I, I look that down is on all the rage. I look down on men who drink rose, but that's just me. <laughs> join for free, skip any month, cancel any time, they even have a one hundred percent satisfaction guarantee you never pay for a body you don't like. Sign up for Wink right now. Ooh. Get introduced to new and rare wines that you can't get anywhere else. Right now, Wink offering my listeners $20 off their first order plus complimentary uh, shipping and shifting, shape-shifting and shipping. If you go to trywink.com slash BS, fine wine personalized for your palate, coming right to your door. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash BS. Hey, my team played your team for four days yeah. Uh, what Red Sox player were you most scared of when they were coming up to the plate?
1: Um, not really any. It's been an, that's been an amazing yeah. part. I mean, now that David Ortiz is gone, I, I mean, I, I had such fear of David Ortiz for the past what twelve years of my life that when now that he's gone, it, I, literally, like nobody in that lineup uh, gives me the feelings that Ortiz gave me of like fear, loathing, and hatred, and, and yeah. you know. Worry as to how hard Hardy was going to hit it, <clears throat> and there's an, I saw an amazing stat. I was watching the game. I, for, I think it was on Saturday that at the and um was it the Saturday game. It was it was not the one that went. I don't think I was watching the one that went 15 innings, but when I was watching one of the Saturday games, and um, it, the Red Sox were like two for 61 with runners in scoring position against the Yankees this year. And they had some other stat where they've been shut out against the Yankees like three times this year. And instead of the previous you know, 30 years, they had only done it like five times or some, some crazy stat, whatever it was. But they, their offense has really been anemic against the Yankees this year.
0: We lost our two Yankee killers. We lost Manny in 2008. Yeah. And then Ortiz, obviously, last year. Those are really the only two guys in the history of franchise, in the franchise, since the Babe Ruth sale.
1: I mean, Ortiz is up there with like all-time Yankee killers. Like yeah. Eddie Murray used to kill the Yankees, George Brett used to kill the Yankees. And when I was a kid, they would always come up and kill the Yankees. Uh, Edgar Martinez was a Yankee yes. killer. He, they could never get him out. And then Ortiz was legendary for that. The Yankees couldn't get Ortiz out to save their lives. Yeah. I, so now that he's gone, I, I breathe a huge sigh of relief.
0: Mookie Betts, I almost I almost did a couple tweets about him this weekend, and I held off. Mookie Betts is been like quietly disappointing this year it's it's been a really weird season where he's had like somewhere between eight to ten awesome games Mm -hmm. but over the whole course of the body of work he just hasn't been consistent it's it's like his stats if you took if you took out like his eight best games he's probably hitting like 230 like I looked it up last year he had 30 games where he didn't get a hit this year on Sunday, when I was looking up, he'd already had thirty games where he didn't get a hit, and I don't know whether whether it's like there's more pressure on him because of Ortiz or or what's going on, but they don't have that like stable. Oh, you got to worry about this guy. We have this stable set. You know, this guy is awesome person. And it's like, it, you know, my Red Sox friends. We're we're texting back and forth about whether they should make a move from Machado, which would really only be like a year and a half, and whether that's worth it. They have this guy, Raphael Devers, who's a top ten, top five prospect, depending on what list you're looking at, who's a third baseman, but he's not ready yet. Their third baseman have been just one of the all time abysses in the history of the franchise. And it's uh, it's just an (laughs) unbelievable
1: say Pablo Sandoval signing was a little bit of a disappointment.
0: It's,
1: (laughs) I would say it was the worst contract.
0: I would say it was the worst contract of my lifetime, but we gave Carl Crawford like $180 million or whatever that was. We have two, the Red Sox have handed out, not to complain because we won three World Series, but the Red Sox have handed out two of the five worst contracts of all time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that sandoval contract is just a disaster my god this, you know a disaster of epic proportions
0: my son i don't know if i've told you about this my son loves baseball now and that's good. uh and it started because he he played on a team last fall and then this spring and really got into it and he goes on these deep dives like you know it was hamilton pro wrestling hockey like he just he's all in when he's in and <laughs> it's right. been in with baseball and he's <laughs> It's like watching an alien learn about baseball. It's like he landed from another planet. It's like, What's this? And he just is following the history of baseball on YouTube and he he goes on his iPad and he just he's like, Dad, how about that Giants comeback and whatever? And I'm like, Oh my God. But uh
1: so he, Bobby Thompson?
0: Right. So he's he's like a blank slate and he's been nice. watching this Red Sox season and watching a lot of games with me and just instinctively knowing nothing. Knew that Pablo Sandoval was the worst baseball player in the league. <laughs> he was like, "Why is he so fat? Why is he so bad on defense? Why do they play him there? He stinks. How do they not? How can we not have him on the team?" It, it was hilarious because he's nine, but even he knew. He knows nothing, and he knew this was the worst right. baseball player in the league. And uh, and it got to the point where they were like, "All right, Devin Marrero, um is going to just go 0 for 4 every game, but at least ground balls just won't go by him." And, uh <laughs> and then they brought this guy Lynn up who they tried to get There's like Lynn sanity like he had like you know two oh, hits once and now Brock holtz back who battled vertigo and has this look on his face like he just got off a fishing boat that had like a really rocky trip <laughs> and he's up there trying to hit I feel bad for him like uh, he he just doesn't look right so I think they're gonna be a trade for a third baseman waiting to happen I thought it was gonna be Todd Frazier, but
1: Well, Uh, that was the rumor that, you know, the Yanks swooped in with a better prospect. And it's such a strange thing to hear the Yankees have better prospects than the Red Sox because, you know, that's not been the case over the recent history. Maybe all history, but certainly recent history. So, yeah, because I I had somebody on Twitter last night when there was first rumors of a trade and they're like, Oh, Frazier was held out of the White Sox game—a healthy scratch—and they're like, maybe he's coming to the Red Sox. And then it was like, then I saw these rumors about, you know, the Yankees going for him and for Robertson, and you know, that was the beginning of it. So, you yeah, know, everybody um, thought Frazier to the Red Sox was a done deal.
0: We had good prospects, but Dave Dombrowski just started trading them all over the place. The Chris Sale trade has been amazing. I would do that one again. Chris Sale is in the running for the best Red Sox pitcher I've ever seen. If you remove the two Pedro seasons, which obviously can't be touched, but he's up there with any Clemens season. He's up there with any non 99, 2000 Pedro season. Um, I don't know what else you would put up there. Schilling in 2004, he blows away, but it's like every time I watch Chris sale and now it's to the point where it's like, you have to watch him because he's like a potential 20 strikeout game every time. And, uh, the problem is he his pitch count always gets a little too high on uh, yeah. what, what was the game? It was um, what the last time he pitched they had to take him out in the eighth inning and they put that him- was the sixteen inning game. The yeah, end yeah. He ended up
1: winning he started that one or fifteen inning whatever it was sixteen. Yeah, yeah he got
0: to one hundred and eighteen pitches and they probably rightly took him out and brought in Kimbrell in the eighth, which is just basically saying we want this game to go 15 innings. Cause Kimbrell can be, <laughs> just can't somebody. He's like one of those classic closers that you just can't bring That's him so in the weird. eighth inning. Um, but Chris sale has been awesome. And price price on Sunday night was the best Price has looked as, as not only a Red Sox pitcher but probably even the last couple of years. Like he was, David price was back on Sunday night. So,
1: yeah, um, unfortunately, so I, I usually never fear price because the Yankees do great against him, but he pitched well.
0: So if we can get old uh, old Ricky P going, I don't know. It's yeah. a nice little playoff He's been really rotation. Sketchy. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, if it, you
1: guys get in the playoffs, I mean, it's you're going to be dangerous because Sale, you know, in a seven game series, if you can set it up that he starts three times, that's you know. You'd like your chances there. He's ridiculous. And, you know, Price doesn't love the playoffs, but maybe he can, you know, they right. can hypnotize him that it's the regular season and see what happens. All right,
0: you didn't have to attack David Price. I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> he's he's been through enough this season.
1: That's um, true. dealt with a lot.
0: All right, I want to talk about the Mike and the Mad Dog Thirty for Thirty, but first, Johnny, summer is the perfect time to upgrade your underwear drawer.
1: Don't I know it?
0: Everyone is looking good and feeling good. MeUndies are the ultimate feel-good undies designed in LA. Every pair of MeUndies is made with Micro modal. You know what that is, Johnny?
1: Uh, no, it sounds good, though.
0: It's a fabric three times softer than cotton. They're soft, stretchy undies coming in an ever-changing array of colors and patterns. My wife, MeUndies always mails me underwear, and I wear all of it. Mm. And now I wear nothing else other than the MeUndies, and she makes fun of me constantly about it. like. Like uh, this is I've never seen you get attached to a product like this. I'm like, hey man, I like comfortable underwear. They come in all they make kinds, those
1: in a boy's small. They, <laughs>
0: <laughs> they come in all kinds of colors and patterns. This month's patterns were designed by the legendary '80s clothing brand Cross Colors, with names that live up to their bold design and bright colors. Increased D piece, Yadig, and the OG. See them for yourself right now. Save 20 percent off your first pair. Receive free shipping only at MeUndies.com. Slash BS, And if you don't love your first pair of Meandies, they're free. There's a reason Meandies has sold over 5 million pairs to date. Get 20% off your first pair plus free shipping at com slash BS right now. All right, let's talk about making the Mad Dog. Yeah. Um,
1: I liked I, it, obviously. I mean, I I could watch anything about Mike and the Mad Dog. It could have just been them, like, sitting in a room talking about the weather, and I was going to give it two thumbs up. I wish it was longer. I think it could have been two hours. But, of course, I'm a unique demographic, and I'm not sure the general public at large wants to watch two hours on Mike and the Mad Dog. They didn't. But I thought it was, like, a good synopsis of their time together and, like, what they did for sports radio. And, you know, I love hearing the old clips. And, and just Mad Dog is such a fascinating person to me like just his mannerisms and his way he speaks. He's just such an odd guy that I, it's just funny as hell to watch him interact with like other humans to me.
0: Right. It's weird. It's weird for me critiquing 30 for 30 for about a hundred obvious reasons, but sure. Um, I thought it should have been 90 minutes. I thought it should have set the stage um, a lot in a much more profound way about what sports radio was like before and after they showed up. Um, right.
1: I don't think they did enough, like, as as to what it was like before them. It like, was with Pete Franklin on the fan and everything.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. And you didn't even have to just concentrate on New York. You could have gone to any right. local city. Like, Boston had the sports huddle um, with Eddie Andelman, who we always used to make fun of when we were yeah. in college. But, you know, it was him and these two, basically two buddies. And it was, you know, they, there was some DNA of Mike and the Mad Dog in that show before they, they kind of lost their fastball. But... It made it seem like they kind of created this two man format, which I didn't think was necessarily true. And then it made it seem like everybody copied that format from that point on, which I also don't think is true because you also have the Colin Coward type job of. Boots. Or you have the oh, Colin Coward, well, yeah. like, guy by himself just being like, coming up, I'm going to tell you why the Seinfeld cast is like the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> That's coming yeah. up next. And just these, like, 10 minute monologues about whatever. But, right. um, so that was one thing. I, I thought it, if I had been involved, I, I would have really pushed them to make it more about like sports radio and how it evolved and how important they were in that. But the, thi- the thing I thought they really missed and they glossed over the 90s and, you know, there there was a whole 20 minute section I feel like should have been in there. Like how huge Mike and the Mad Dog were in 1994. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I was in Connecticut that summer. Um, and it was basically like the OJ trial, the Knicks, the Rangers, the Knicks and Rangers are both, both made the finals. The OJ thing happens. It's an incredible movie summer, which is another part that they didn't really hit with. Like, you know, it could be Mike and the Mad Dog that summer. First of all, they, they were throwing 105 miles an hour each, but, (laughs) um, but that those were shows where it could be like, you're talking about the Rangers stay in the Cup Finals, but then it would go to OJ, and then it'd be like, hey, dog, what'd you think of Forrest Gump? And
1: exactly. <laughs> and
0: that was the year of Forrest Gump, Shawshank, Pulp Fiction. It was a really great movie year, and they had opinions on all of it. And there was just nothing like it. And I almost feel like they didn't they didn't even hit how, how just unbelievable it was to hear two people talk on the radio about it, anything like that. I had never heard, you and I, what was the year we did... We drove to the Jersey Shore and we just listened to them for five hours. Yeah. Listen to yeah. them for five hours and then talked like them the whole weekend.
1: And Sometimes the funniest part ever is when they didn't. Talk, they talked about non-sports things. Always. Like movies. Like they would have Jeffrey Lyons on once a year or a couple times a year and they would talk about what movies were out there or what was going to win the Academy Award. And you're listening to these two guys talk about that and you're just like dying laughing. And, and they were completely serious, but it was just like so over the top It's so funny. I forget. Never I forget. Mad Dog. They had him on once, and he's talking about um, he's talking about Oliver Stone, and he's like, uh, "I mean, all, all your movies are so dark. How about a romantic comedy?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was serious. He wanted Oliver Stone to do like a romantic comedy. Yeah, oh my I mean, God,
0: that was the thing. They there was so much intentional and unintentional comedy with exactly. those guys that it just didn't hit. And like like they they were the guys that basically. That the, the guest to TV ratings, which Sal oh, yeah, eventually we sound Sal and I did guess the Lions, but guess the Lions came from guest the TV ratings. All right, Mike. right. British Open day three. <laughs> what do you think? And Mike would like seriously ponder <laughs> it and be like, uh, uh 1.8, 1.2. But he'd, yeah, you'd be
1: like, uh, 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 New York, uh, 1.2, uh, national, 1.5. And the dog would be like, uh, it was one point six. Yeah, it's a good number. It's a good number. Right.
0: The other thing it didn't hit was was, you know, part of the dog's success was that he was the outsider, and like, you know, he would really torment the New York fans, and he was right. like, it was almost like the precursor to the internet troll, you know. Exactly. And he took so, he so much delight. He hated the Yankees. He took so much delight the in their demise of anything.
1: Right, and he would, and callers would call him up and be so mad that he wouldn't, like, worship Jeter and worship Joe Torre, and he would go back and forth with Torrey when Torrey took too many Yankees to the All-Star game, and he delighted in pissing off New York fans, because he was not a fan, really, of any New York teams.
0: Which is uh, which so is love you have this, to give him the needle. Yeah, you have the biggest city in America and one of the most passionate sports cities in America, and you have a guy who doesn't like their teams hosting the signature show. Right. And he's really and then combined with Mike, who is like the all time biggest Yankee fan, he's a huge Parcells fan, Parcell's goes to the right. Jets. That was another thing they skipped over was Parcell's going to the Jets when when that show was at its peak and Francesca, was one of his best friends, and they had obviously right. all this inside info, and
1: and that um, caused a lot of bad blood between them because yeah. Dog would always be like, Parcells can do no wrong to you, like even when Parcells was screwing up the Jets or the Cowboys, and Francesca would never call him out because he was his friend, and Dog would call him out, and then they would like not speak for two weeks, you know.
0: I couldn't believe they didn't speak for two and a half months. I didn't know that. Part. That's
1: crazy. Yeah, I, that is I can't crazy even to do a show like that with somebody
0: because like Mike and Mike apparently don't. Don't really talk anymore. Yeah, there's there's this great YouTube clip of them announcing that Mike's going to leave the show to this thing, and they're not making eye contact. They're just kind of staring at like the table and not looking at each other. Which is like, you know, you hate each other when you can't even make eye contact when you're doing a radio show together. It's like impossible. What what else are you going to look at? Of course, you're going to look at the guy. But uh, but yeah, I I I felt like they could have blown that out. And, and if they had gone two hours, then it becomes a whole thing about the history of sports radio in this country like that's a totally different documentary, and you use those guys as the focal point i, I wish they had done that. My thing is if you're gonna do it, do it like go all out make it make it uh make it really ambitious More global yeah it would this was i don't know it it was like a surface treatment of it. I don't know how you gloss over the nineties, and I don't think there's any way to properly explain how important those guys were in the mid 90s in the New York sports scene. Like the other thing they missed was, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, the most important person in a big city was always the newspaper columnist. Right. Yeah. You know, and I it was like say that, yeah. Yeah. Before them it was Mike Lupka and in Boston obviously it was like Gamins and Bob Ryan and Shaughnessy even. Um but you go down the line, everybody <laughs> Washington had Kornheiser and Wilbon. You go down the line it was always the newspaper columnist. And this was the first time that kind of the voice on things became a sports radio host. And
1: I mean, they they single handedly brought Mike Piazza to the Mets.
0: Yeah, they, they hyped covered that, up that for the weeks doc. and
1: weeks. They made that happen. Yeah. And they talked about that in the documentary where you know Nelson Doubleday was getting calls, and they're like, I mean, they made Mike Piazza happen to the Mets. And there was a time, certainly, you know, in the fifties when it was all newspaper generated, where newspaper columnists could make things happen with the team, Dick get him. a guy fired, or get a guy traded, or whatever. And they that totally flipped that. That's true because it was pre-internet, and so it was. And for whatever reason, they had a bigger, you know, they had a bigger market than TV did because you had five hours a day. So guys that are in their cabs or driving or you know happen to be listening at work, they had a huge more of a following than than even like a TV guy would have. So they single-handedly made things happen in the way that columnists did in the 50s, definitely.
0: And that was another thing that doc missed. I thought was. When they when they rose to prominence, late eighties, heading into the early nineties, mid nineties, it was all pre-internet. And sports radio was just more important in nineteen ninety four. It was like this was our only outlet to hear people talk about the stuff we were we were talking about. You could either read or listen to sports radio with two newspapers and a sports radio station. And then the internet kind of came into play you know, 96, 97 range, and it started to shift, but it really didn't totally shift until the early 2000s. But, you know, in 1994, if we're talking about the OJ trial, it's just you and me at a bar, but then there's no other conversation happening that we're a part of, and it's like, oh, these guys are talking about it, you know, and it, and it right. just went to another level, and I thought it missed that too. I, I just think it was more important, to have a job like that in the mid-90s pre-internet. Now it's like you can get opinions anywhere. You know, you're on Twitter and somebody get 40 who, opinions in a minute.
1: Somebody who was not as familiar with Mike and the Mad Dog, I got a lot of tweets about it after the fact, and people sending me messages on Twitter. Somebody was like, they have a like a Francesa convention, and they're like, it looked like it was about 98% male. And I'm like, well, I think that might be an underestimation.
0: Yeah, actually. I was say
1: 100%. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there was a woman within five miles of Francesca Khan.
0: No, and that, and that it was is, you. Can, I mean, I don't know how they would have covered this in the doc, but they were also probably the all-time record for if you were in the car with your girlfriend or wife, and they came <laughs> on, you'd be like, turn that off. I hate those guys.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's that's uniquely male is into is the demographic for my demand dog. <laughs>
0: All right, you have thirty seconds to talk about Trump, and then we're leaving.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm really, I'm tired of all the winning, as you can probably tell, because <laughs> it's just one success after another. Yeah, it's, it's been just great. It's incredible. He's really banging then, out wins. Um, you know, thing, I've, I read something that was interesting. He went over to the G20, and it said that basically, like, foreign leaders have learned that if you, like, celebrate him and tell him how wonderful he is and, like, shake his hand and treat him to, like, a grand parade and a spectacle... He has no principles, so as long as you're nice to him, like he'll do whatever you want. So I'm worried one of these days, like he's going to go over to France, and they're, they're going to end up with New Hampshire. And he's going to come back and be like, I gave New Hampshire to France, but uh, it was a wonderful cake. It was chocolate like you wouldn't believe. They gave me a parade, so New Hampshire's now part of France. Cause it's just, it makes you nervous. <laughs> like, you know, he goes over to France for Bastille Day last week, and Macron, the guy who's the new president of France, you know, they had this legendary thirty-second handshake because you know you don't want you have, Trump's whole thing is do this power move of like yeah, not being the last guy to stop it's shaking hands or whatever. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy when you think about it. But like, I, I just don't know what he's capable of, and you know, he goes over there representing the United States at the G twenty, and it's like. President of the United States Donald Trump you're just like my god how did we get here you know it's just it's just. I still can't wrap my head around it I say that every time but it's the truth
0: no headline is surprising anymore it was like yesterday him and Putin had a second meeting that they didn't tell us yeah, about right. I was like okay all right. I'm not surprised to hear that it's great <laughs> I'm excited. And when
1: his, you know, when his kid has this meeting with all these people, and the New York Times is like doggedly after the story, and, you know, you think it's like they're like the reporters think it's like Watergate. You know, they're Woodward and Bernstein. And then he like tweets out the whole thing, oh, yeah, I met with these guys. And, you know, like everybody's like, oh, he's Fredo. I think that does a disservice to Fredo, frankly. Right. <laughs> like, Fredo didn't write a note to Michael like I was with Ola in Cuba, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Fredo's been the go-to joke for so many years with this, right? And it, it, Don Jr. really has a chance to become like just supplant Fredo and just become the go-to joke whenever there's that type of joke. The, right. oh, he's the Don Jr. of blank. Exactly.
1: The whole thing is just you know every day you wake up and you're like oh my god what what's what's today going to bring or what what you know what new embarrassment are we going to have to deal with so <clears throat> I we'll have good news it's just Johnny. Crazy.
0: We're we're one, we're one eighth of the way home. There you go. Yeah.
1: There you go.
0: All right, Johnny. This was uh, a pleasure as always. It's hard to believe we Thanks, talked buddy. about the Yankees, Mike and the Mad Dog, thirty for thirty and Trump. I didn't who saw that coming? It was right. an, it was incredible. Go um stay stay cool in the summer. Uh I hope oh, Aaron shot. Judge bounces back from this terrible tailspin he's in. <laughs> I hope his career is okay. It would be awkward if he – if has anyone ever won the home run title while finishing the season in the minors? Serious question.
1: Oh, oh my God. Would they gosh. send
0: him down to work on his swing before the playoffs?
1: <laughs> he was two for four yesterday with two RBIs. So all, the, all right. the home run derby and the all-star break, it's all behind us now, onward well, and upward.
0: I wish you the worst of luck. Talk to you soon.
1: <laughs> and you as well. Bye-bye. All, right. bye.
0: all right, on the phone, Shay Serrano. How are you, Shay?
1: What up, boss?
0: We're going to talk about sports movie ducks in a second. But first, everyone loves massages, but it's always hard to book one. Well, what if you could book a five-star top-quality massage at a time that works for you in the most convenient place of all? Your home. Or in Shay's case, your office. You could do this in your office, right, Shay? You have your own little office. <laughs> uh, check out zeal.com, zeel.com. Z-E-E-L.com. Same-day in-home massages with the best licensed and vetted massage therapists on demand at home. Download the iPhone or Android app. Select the massage therapist. Choose your favorite technique, gender preference, time, and location for your massage. 365 days a year, they can be there in less than an hour. The table, music, everything you need to turn your living room into a spa. No money changes hands. Even the tip is included. If you do it on their app, Zeal costs on average twenty to fifty percent less than going to a local spa or hotel. And guess what? Our listeners get twenty-five dollars off their first massage by using promo code BS. That's my initial Shay at checkout. Sign up for Zeal's massage membership. Get 20% off all your massages plus a free massage table and shed seat that, sheet set that's a $380 value. Yours free. No initiation for you to join the membership. Go to Zeal, Z-E-E-L.com or Zeal's iPhone or Android app. Then make sure to click add promo code at checkout to use my code BS. $25 off your first in-home on-demand massage. All right, Shea Serrano is a writer (laughs) is a writer for The Ringer he's my old Grantland teammate we have worked together for four plus years Tate Frazier won't give him a podcast are you you talking to Tate what's going on there
2: I refuse to talk to Tate Bill can I say real quick yeah I was reading I was reading this story not that long ago actually maybe a couple weeks it was this guy was talking about the first time that he was in the studio with Nas when Nas was rapping and how like this incredible experience it was I've feel like he felt the same way I did right now listening to you read an ad for, oh, podcast. Sure, for the podcast. the first time I've been on the- <laughs>
0: Had to be memorable for you. Yeah, someday when Tate <laughs> gives you a podcast, you're going to have to learn how to do ads at the level we've established here at The Ringer. Um, One of these days. We should mention you have a book coming out. What's the date, October?
2: October 10th. 10-10-17, baby.
0: What's the name of the book?
2: Basketball and Other Things.
0: So you wrote the rap movie book which not only became a cult classic, but actually became successful. People bought it. It was the rare combination of a cult classic (laughs) that actually sold copies. And people love it. You've had all kinds of strange celebrities um, writing about it, tweeting about it, um, hitting you up, and now you're going to do the basketball version of it. I'm excited. Um, Give give us the 20-second synopsis of what the book's about.
2: The book is about every chapter is a different basketball question that needs to be answered. But it's not basketball questions like magic or bird or whatever bullshit like that. Like it's new, interesting questions.
0: Right. New they questions don't. that have not been asked yet.
2: Yes, hopefully. Okay.
0: All right. Well, on the ringer dot com today, you wrote about the best worst movie dunk. Explain what that
2: means. Yes, we're talking about Usually when you're watching a movie and there's a basketball scene in it, the person who is playing basketball is an actor, and that actor is generally not very good at basketball, so they got to do all these fancy cutaway tricks and whatnot to make it look like they're good. And uh, a thing that they struggle a lot with is making it look like somebody who can't dunk knows how to dunk. So the article was talking about that.
0: All right, you listed there's 22 that were in contention for the best worst movie dunk of all time. I'm going to rip through these very quick. John Tucker's right. Flip Dunk, Ed Norton American History X, which we're going to talk about in a second. Catwoman's Dunk and Catwoman, which I forgot they even made Catwoman. Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man. O and O, which John DeRay, I was glad you brought up O. Airbud on the poster for Airbud. Scott Howard as a werewolf and teen wolf. Billy Hoyle's Alley Oop in White Man Can't Jump. Uh, file that one away. I want to talk about it. Boogaloo's Two Hander and Above the Rim, which. Three years ago on Grantland, Rafe Bartholomew, Andrew Sharp, and myself did an above-the-rim thing, and um, all of us had a lot of problems with Marlon Wayans and that, and that dunk, but we're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> Lola Bunny and Space Jam. Rocky's Rim Attack Dunk and Three Ninjas. Kenny Tyler and Six Man. Calvin Cambridge and Like Mike. Brian Newell and Thunderstruck. I can't even believe Thunderstruck made the... Did, did Kevin Durant didn't even see Thunderstruck. Did you watch Thunderstruck or did you just go on YouTube? You didn't watch Thunderstruck, right? I I watched
2: Thunderstruck, of course. I watched watched Like Mike, Like Mike 2, Thunderstruck. I'm all over those movies, man.
0: All right. Chip Douglas and Cable Guy, which I had forgotten about. The winning dunk in the air up there. The Super, which we're going to talk about that too. John Bender's dunk in The Breakfast Club. I'm glad you brought this up because my daughter and I just watched this movie and I was horrified by it. You said it was a nine-foot rim. I think it was like a seven-and-a-half-foot rim. Joanna <laughs> Man, which might be the most underrated basketball movie right now. Yeah. Oh, Tate agreed with that. Your nemesis, Tate Fraser, agreed with my Joanna Man. Of
1: course he did. Of Elliot- course he did.
0: Elliot Richardson Bedazzled? What the hell is Bedazzled? What is that?
2: You've never seen Bedazzled? No. Oh, Bedazzled is great. So Bedazzled came out you know, right around 2000 or so. It stars Brendan Frazier. He's in love with this woman. He wants to make her fall in love with him. He makes a deal with the devil played by Elizabeth Hurley. And she's going to grant him wishes. And he's trying to make his life better so that he can get the attention of this woman. But every time that they get a wish granted, there's something wrong with it. And in Bedazzled, one of his wishes, he wishes to be a famous athlete. So that the devil makes him this seven foot six basketball superstar. He they, they show one game, he's dunking it from beyond the three point line, he's throwing hook shots or behind the back from past half court, everything switches. He scores over 100 points, like 40-something rebounds. But the main issue with that one, they're in the locker room, and he's being interviewed by the woman he's in love with, and his towel falls down, and it turns out he has a super tiny penis. Oh! And so he's like, you know what, never mind, I don't want to be a rich, famous basketball star anymore, because I don't want to have this tiny penis. And every every wish there's something wrong with it. That's the movie. It's fantastic.
0: I have a serious question. Was this a porn movie?
2: It was not a porn oh, not movie. A porn it movie. maybe okay. should have been. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: last two, Quincy McCall's one-on-one dunk at the end of Basketball, which is a great movie. He dunks on his uh, future wife. And then uh, the dunk in, in Celtic Pride. Far be it for me to critique your list. I thought, you, <laughs> okay. I thought you left out a key dunk, but we're going back almost 40 years, so I don't blame you. And I'm a little older than you. But Robbie Benson made a movie called One-on-One. I'm going to say 1977 where he's this high school. Okay. Did you see one-on-one?
2: I, I, I don't watch any movie that came out before
0: 1980. Is this like a, <laughs> is this a rule you made?
2: I made it up. I made it up right now. you right. said that. And I felt <laughs>
0: so one-on-one he's this high school recruit. He goes to, he gets recruited by this big college, which I think is called like big state or something. And he's a point guard. He's like, uh, it's like a Ricky Rubio type, I would say. Floppy hair, May, can't, couldn't have been okay. taller than like five, five ten, five eleven. And at one point during one of the games, dunks in traffic, and you are going to have if you if you spend a, the time you spent making this list, I am going to send you the Robbie Benson dunk, and you are going to have issues with it. Uh, okay. Also, just from a dunking standpoint, should not have made the list, but Doctor J's date in the fish that saved Pittsburgh. When he takes, I
2: love that. (laughs) All
0: those dunks were realistic, but he is in street clothes on a date, just dunking for this girl for no reason, which is one of my favorite things.
2: Yeah, I think they're on like a they're they're sitting on a Ferris wheel or something, and she's telling him some very serious life issues that she's having. Yeah, and then he's like, "Come with me," and then he just makes her watch him play basketball for like two minutes.
0: But that movie came out before 1980. That was a pre 1980 movie. Yeah, I don't I don't I just
1: <laughs> I just think you missed
0: one on one. I think you just missed it. Look, you had you watched every basketball it. movie ever. Um all right, so you whittled this list down. And for some reason you just decided to jettison Ed Norton's American History X dunk, which in my opinion the context of the blacks versus whites pickup game which was just bizarre anyway. But then how jacked Ed Norton was and was obviously did PEDs for the movie. I don't want to I don't want to accuse Ed Norton of anything, but he gained thirty five pounds of muscle just for that movie and mm-hmm. now it doesn't look like that anymore. But then the game ends with him doing off a two feet, a reverse two handed dunk, which I would say fifty percent of the NBA players couldn't do. And he's probably about That's six t- feet tall. So what so why how does that not even make the final four for the, for this list?
2: Well, I think you should start every countdown you're ever doing by just automatically getting rid of any Nazis. That's the rule okay. that we that we, fair. that we set in place there.
0: Fair. But he, he, he. by the end of the movie, was not a <laughs> Nazi. He was not a Nazi by the end of the movie.
2: He wasn't, but he was a Nazi when he dunked it. Okay, fair. I like that I tell you that we can't cut out Nazis, and you're like, yeah, you're right, but. And then we go, yeah, um, when... <laughs> when i when I was in when I was in San Antonio when I was uh, living here before I left for college yeah i I was in attendance for a black versus white basketball game what and they would yeah, there was this group of guys who lived down the street from us now I lived in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, but there was a section where there was like a a bunch of black people there, and there was also a section on the other side where was like a fair amount of white people and we were playing basketball one day at one of the white kids' houses and a group of the black guys came and they were like okay can we, we got next and somebody was like hey let's play whites versus blacks and they didn't let me play which is why I remember I was very sad because I was asking them what team do I go on because I'm Mexican there's no Mexican team out here right now who do I get to play with and they made me just sit and watch and it was not that much fun neither
0: team and the white guys got
2: neither team no they already had their group they had their group of five and the white guys got blown out so there you go
0: Tate, have you ever played a whites versus blacks basketball game? It's
2: happened.
0: Tate's, yeah, Tate's from Carolina. I mean, he's seen some stuff. But let's just leave it. at he that. He absolutely
2: has played a night. Yeah,
0: he's seen he's seen some dark things. <laughs> um, you cut out one. Of you 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 establish a bunch of ground rules to cut down from the twenty two. And prerequisite right. number six was the dunk has to contain at least one camera cutaway during either the setup or the actual dunk. Because a camera cutaway is absolutely essential to accidentally making supposed to be serious things look silly, which I agree with. But that led to you cutting out Billy Hoyle's dunk at the end of White Man Can't Jump, which there's two major flaws with that movie. I like that movie less than others. One is how bad Wesley Snipes is at basketball and how nobody (coughs) nobody dribbles like that or has a game like that. And I just thought he was terrible. But the Billy Hoyle dunk, I've just never been able to get over. And it was so clearly an eight-foot rim. And they so clearly screwed up how high he jumped. Like, his whole head's over the rim. He's like, what is he, like 5'11"? So how do you justify cutting this out?
2: Well, because it didn't have the the cutaway. If they would have utilized the cutaway, like they did. The Edward Norton dunk we talked about earlier, it's clearly fake. But it looks like maybe it could have been real because they do a shot from... Up underneath, and then they also do a shot from the top, which a lot of people don't do. Yeah, and it looks like he maybe got up that high, but yeah, with the white man can jump when they stay on him the whole time, and so you see the distance that is covered. He is barely off the ground before his hands are at the rim, so he's either suddenly as tall as Yao Ming, or it's a very tiny <laughs> rim. You need you you need that cutaway to make it work.
0: What was your reason for cutting out the Marlon Wayans dunking above the rim? Because I can't think of a good reason.
2: Uh, he murdered somebody. Anybody oh, who right, kills fair. somebody, you're you're automatically out.
0: I like that that you really have strong morals about your best worst dunk. I, I think it's good. I no Nazis, no murderers. Who who else gets cut out?
2: Those two guys definitely get cut out. We're also cutting out any children because this is a serious competition. Right. Also, we're cutting out animals, and after that, it's fair, fair game.
0: I think animals was a good call. Also, uh, I I, so I found out from your piece that Mackay Pfeiffer was only five foot nine, and they had to use a stunt double yeah. to do his dunk, which is pretty embarrassing. All right, so two left. Your finals were Chip Douglas's up the back dunk in The Cable Guy versus Louis Kritzky's dunk in The Super, which raises the question who is Louis Kritzky and what's The Super? So explain what The Super is.
2: <laughs> the Super is a movie where Joe Pesci plays almost a a slumlord of sorts, and he gets ordered to live in the building that he owns. It's a really bad building. He goes to court. The judge sentences him to live there for a while. And then, of course, while he's there, he begins to realize, oh, these are actual humans with real needs, and he starts to grow a heart. But during the middle part of the movie, he makes friends with the guy who lives in the building, and they invite him to play basketball. And it turns out it ends up being a hustle. But... In the beginning of the game, they're letting him make all these shots and stuff. And the first game ends with him dunking it somehow, even though Joe Pesci is only five foot four. And that one also has a great cutaway. And it's also funny because they shoot from the underside, and he's dunking, and the rim is bigger than the width of his body. Right. It looks already ridiculous, and he's dunking over like a six eight guy. So there you go. That's the movie. That's the dunk.
0: So you think Joe Pesci, who's about five foot three and not athletic, and was wearing a wig in the movie, you don't think it was realistic that he dunked?
2: I don't think it was that realistic. It okay. was almost realistic, but not quite realistic.
0: And then the cable guy, he, he jumps off someone's back, but then ends up about, as you wrote, a good four feet over the rim.
2: Right, yeah, and, and he, he, he jumps off Jack Black.
0: Jumps off Jack Black. So yeah. who was the winner? Who did you have? Tell. I know the answer, but tell our listeners.
2: Chip Douglas wins, okay. because... All of the other parts are the same. They, are, they both do the camera cutaway tricks. They're both pretty ridiculous but not entirely ridiculous because I watched videos of a guy on YouTube who's 5'5 five five and is doing NBA-style dunk, right. just straight up, cocking it back, real dunk. So a 5'4 guy could presumably dunk. Um, but the main difference here is the Chip Douglas dunk. We've got him jumping off the back, which makes sense if he's going to dunk it. But the fact that he goes up as high as he does, 14 feet high, up past the top of the backboard, would, to me, say that he already possesses the leg strength to just do a dunk without jumping off of a person. So the fact that he did jump off a person just barely puts it over the top.
0: Tate, you agree with all this? I
2: agree. I mean, for bad worst, I agree.
0: Tate, you, I know you hate Tate, but he agrees. I'm on your side, Tate. <laughs> he's, Tate's maybe he's trying to suck up to you. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. All right. I I don't so buy it. Congratulations to Chip for having the best worst movie dunk of all time. And I, I liked your I liked your reasons for cutting out animals and Nazis and Murders. I think all very fair points. Um quickly before you go, should we talk about the uh the death of the Spurs and your, your gradual drifting back to the middle?
2: <sighs> yes. Real let's do it quickly because I don't have the heart for it. I'm in San Antonio right now. We're all commiserating. It's It's, very bad.
0: You know what's interesting? The the Spurs fans for years justifiably were like, we don't get enough attention. People don't like us. Tim Duncan is better than Kobe. Why don't people think this? Why doesn't Tim Duncan get more respect? Why don't we get more respect? It was a whole thing. Then the internet, as the internet basketball writing got smarter and people appreciated Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich and the infrastructure of the Spurs and all that stuff, then it started to flip around 2013 and now everybody is pro spurs and always thinking the spurs are the smartest team and they did the right they're doing the right thing i would argue the spurs should be really criticized for the summer i think they had a terrible summer and they're worse they didn't really help themselves from a salary cap standpoint heading into next year or the year after the season they didn't get chris paul they instead of just eating the paul gasol contract which is terrible they they bought they got out of it, but then gave him a longer contract, so you're gonna have to pay him for seasons beyond this year, which I don't really understand. They let Jonathan Simmons go. They their big signing was Rudy Gay, who just blew out his Achilles, and you already have <laughs> Tony Parker blew out his Achilles, so you have two of your top six have blown out Achilles. You didn't trade Lamarcus Aldridge, which everyone in the league knows that he's unhappy and that he was a bad fit and he's complaining about Popovich. And you have have the Spurs going, if you can't be happy in this system, how do you think we can trade you? Everybody thinks we have the best infrastructure. If you're not happy here, nobody wants you. Um, What is good about what's going on with the Spurs right now?
2: This season is not the good part. The good part will be the season after. All of the things you mentioned are, are true. And also I would say they're all the bad things that you talked about are tied to LaMarcus Aldridge because him coming out and saying he wanted to be traded just sort of screwed everything up for the reason that you mentioned. How do you not want to play with the Spurs? If you don't want to, fine, just be quiet and let us trade you, and you go to a team and make somebody else miserable. But once you start saying you don't want to be there, then your trade value drops. Nobody wants to make a good deal. Chris Paul doesn't want to come here anymore. It was all Lamarcus's fault. It's it's a it's a disaster. So it's he's already got his, mar, his his house on the market here in San Antonio. He knows it's a wrap.
0: So he is in the running for your least favorite Spurs of all time.
2: Absolutely in the running. It's him. It's Richard Jefferson, oh. and those those are the top two guys.
0: Oh, Richard Jefferson murdered you guys.
2: It was so bad.
0: He ate so for bad. multiple he, years.
2: He's a bigger, more expensive Richard Jefferson.
0: Wow. It was crazy that they were shopping him like they were going to get a lottery pick for him. I mean, I would argue you'd almost have to take back somebody else's bad contract to get rid of him. Because And here's the other thing. I actually think I would trade for him if I was certain teams in the league because I don't know if they used him the way he should be used. I think they tried to shoehorn him in the way that you know they they expected him to bend on his game a little bit and do some things to try to fit in with what they do. <laughs>
1: and I right? think he just
0: wants. I think he just wants to post up from fifteen feet away and do Lamarcus Aldridge things and have the whole offense revolve yeah. around him. Otherwise, he's not happy. But there's teams in the league that he could do that on that would be forty-two win teams. So
2: that's exact. That's exactly what he wants, and it worked out well for him in Portland. I mean, right. all of those big championships they got. Right, they,
0: they made round two once with him. But he was how, how, <laughs> he was really good that one year when he really laid the smack down before Dame Lillard became good and he became threatened by Dame Lillard. But he had that one year where he was like 25 and 11 or something every night for four months. I don't know if right. that guy that was, is still here.
2: That was a guy who destroyed the Rockets. I was watching that series with Portland and the, and the Rockets played, and he went nuts just against everybody and that was a guy who i thought was showing up for us like oh this guy was built to play in the playoffs he just hadn't had a chance and it turned out that was the total fluke i realized oh he, he was being guarded by omar asik or whoever and then like maybe he wasn't that great after all but it's too late now we're screwed for this year 2019 nba champion, San antonio spurs we got we got murray we got Kawhi. We're gonna get somebody else. I don't know yet. We're good. We're
0: good. Tate is just laughing and shaking his head. Would I just you want you to know have, that. Of
2: course
0: Would he is. <laughs> Would you rather have Dwight Howard or Lamarcus? Tate's, Tate wants to know. I,
2: I, I, give me, give me Lamarcus. Yeah, Dwight, Dwight is my nobody, number, my number
0: one enemy. Nobody wants Dwight. Yeah, I don't know what they do, and and the shame of it is Kawhi's probably at his apex right now, and you know the team. I, I actually it's funny to see people pencil them in as a top three team. I think it's the Warriors one, no question in the West. No Houston, question. Houston I think would be the best candidate for two. And then I think three's up for grabs. And I don't three. know I don't know if we can say the Spurs quote unquote infrastructure is going to be enough anymore because I don't know when when's parker parker's not going to come back till All-Star break earliest that that Achilles always seems to be like a year and a half to a two year injury and then you got Rudy Gay too who is the big signing and I don't really see him making a huge impact at least in the first half of the season anyway and then you lose Simmons right. I really like Simmons I I would I don't know what's going on with him but the contract he signed with Orlando was not commensurate with what I watched in the playoffs. I thought he was one of your best two way guys. You know,
2: he was he was fantastic in the playoffs, but he also wasn't a vital part of what the Spurs. There were like I think thirty one games where he either didn't play or he played less than fifteen minutes, and people sort of forget that part because he showed out in the in the Rockets series. He wasn't super super important. He was a beloved guy here in town. Um, we well, you know what the problem is though. Out. Tony's out for a good while. What's what's the problem?
0: He's the same position as Kawhi.
2: Yeah, that is a bit of a problem.
0: When Kawhi got hurt and Simmons actually was getting some of the minutes, it was became clear. like He's just a natural small forward. I I, I think it would have been hard to play those two guys together. When they did it, it was interesting, right. but I don't know necessarily if that's the name. But you know, he's, he's the guy. The value for him is you want him guarding Paul George and Kevin Durant and all these different types of guys, but you already have Kawhi to mm-hmm. do that. So that hurts some of his right. value. I was surprised that Orlando was able to swipe in and steal him. Did you sign Deadman or no?
2: no? No, he left as well, I believe. See, so lost... Tony, Tony, yeah, Tony. Tony's injury was the quad, not the not the Achilles. Oh he yeah,
0: just, yeah, like, that's right. It. Blew out the quad. Yeah. So what's the comeback um, for that?
2: About six months, they say. So yeah, somewhere around All Star break, right before, right after. Well, but I... I think, you know who who's you know who's the third seed? I think it's Oklahoma. I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping San Antonio holds on to third, but I think it might be Oklahoma. On
0: paper, it could be if those guys figure it out. I've I keep staring at the West, trying. It just seems improbable to me that this Paul George rental thing is going to work for one year, and then I keep staring at the West trying to figure out who could supplant them. And they're Uh probably the safest bet, right? Because Blake's not coming back for the Clippers until December at the earliest. Minnesota will take a little bit to gel, it seems like. Denver will take a little while. You just go on down the line. Everybody talks about how unbelievable the West is, and it's definitely good. But I think from three to 11, I don't know. I think Boston, Cleveland, and Washington are probably safer bets than any team three to 11 in the West. You know? And then then Houston, your least favorite team. We don't know if Chris Paul Mm -hmm. and James Harden can coexist.
2: I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll figure it out. Yeah, man, guys me too. I'm not, super super I'm not positive. I'm not positive. Are you? Right. I'm hoping they don't. I'm hoping that they don't. I'm hoping they take turns. I'm hoping it's like the beginning of when Dwayne and, and LeBron were together, and they were just like, okay, you do it now, and then I'll do it, and then you do it. And then I hope that that's what happens with the Rockets. And then they lose to the Spurs in the second round again. That's my number one dream right there. But I think by, like, March, they're going to know what's going on, and they're going to be fucking terrifying.
0: Yeah, there, there's a checkered history with Alpha Dogs playing together. And I think with Golden State, one of the reasons it works so well is because Durant and Curry, not only so unselfish, but they actually really complemented each other. And by the end of the season, they figured out how to take turns, how to play off each other, how to use each other on the high screens. And the, in the finals, right. all of a sudden they're on the right side running these little right side high screens that I'd never really seen before. Um, mm-hmm. With Chris and James Harden... James Harden, even when he was on OKC, was always kind of a give me the ball and everybody spread out kind of guy. And Chris Paul right. is is a ball monopolizer. So I, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. I agree with you. I think they're both smart. But, um, you know, then you throw in Carmelo, the all-time ball stopper, whenever that mm-hmm. trade happens. And I don't know. It's a, weird, it's a weird mix. I get the whole USA basketball. These guys figure it out. Why wouldn't they be able to figure it out here? But it's just a strange mix. The West.
2: Yeah, it's. It's
0: weird. Here's my prediction. I think the Warriors are the best team in the West. I'm going out. Clearly. Yeah.
2: Clearly. (laughs) Um, That's yours. All
0: right. Hey, John Wick 2, Fast 8, Baby Driver, and now uh, Gene Wick with Charlize Theron coming up. Is (laughs) is 2017 the year of movies for Bill Simmons and Chase Serrano?
2: It is absolutely our year, Bill, and I could not be more excited for Atomic Blonde. I honestly could not. It's going
0: to be great. I love that people are just catering to us now, these movie studios. Thank you. Uh, it makes sense. Follow Shay. What's your Twitter handle? Is it just at Shay Serrano? Yes, sir. All right. And your book's coming out in October. October. And uh, you'll be back on before here. I'm sorry about the Spurs. I enjoyed your uh, best movie, best worst movie, Dunk piece. Thanks for coming on. Talk to you soon.
2: All right.
0: Thank you. All, All right. right. All right, that's it for the BS podcast. You can pre order Shay's book. Just go on Amazon or wherever you get it if you want to uh, be one of the FOH army. Tate's not, you're not allowed in the no, army, they Tate. Hate me. I'm yeah, not they, the army. They, they, army hates Tate. Um, that's it. Don't forget about Talk the Thrones coming up uh, Sunday night right after Game of Thrones on Twitter. Go to ringer, use hashtag Game of Thrones, Talk to Thrones, or whatever. Uh, you will find it, all of our peeps talking about it. also speaking of game of thrones binge mode which we did 60 episodes of heading into season seven they are posting the review of episode one season seven which we are putting on the binge mode feed so if you want to hear mallory and jason really go all-time deep dive break down the show go to binge mode game of thrones and also check out ringer nfl show you do a lombardi podcast this week Tate tate lombardi taping a day, lombardi, tape in a day. It's lombardi's getting in football mode a uh, whole bunch of great podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. Check all of them out. I am back later this week with one more podcast. And if you missed Jimmy Butler, go back into the archives because that was a good one too. Anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.